Absolutely. Have you heard it? Yes, I have. It's a fun album. Here we go on uh, three, two, one. We are speaking with the one and only Bill Champlin. The new album is Living for Love, out later this month. And as we say here in Montreal, le bonjour, Bill, comment allez-vous? How are you? Ah, I'm, I'm okay. I, we uh, we decided to, on a whim, my wife and my son, my oh, my younger son and I all uh, hopped in the car and drove to Houston, Texas for Christmas with Tamara's sister. And then once we got there, we realized, oh, now we got to drive back. So I'm just just <laughs> coming back. From Next time somebody says drive from L.A. to Houston, just say, no, nah, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no merci. Uh, yeah. So let's quickly just talk about the album, because you, you've been around for years and you, of course, have written for everybody. You, you, you've written for for, you know, Patti LaBelle. You've done stuff with you've done stuff with David Foster. You've done stuff with R.E.O.S.P. Well, I didn't write. Right. I didn't write for Patti LaBelle, but, but I did just, sing a duet with her. Correct. That's what I meant. Yeah. But talk to me about making music for yourself and not for Chicago or not for something else. Just Bill. This is all Bill. Well, you know, I've always kind of thought that that's what I was doing, but I've kind of become sort of like a, a rampant background singer. And this time around, I wanted to try I mean, I read somewhere that says, if it's not personal, it's not art. And I read somewhere, I read that somewhere and I went, you know, uh, so I started writing. I, I wrote actually the song "Living for Love," and Tamara walked in. I was about halfway done with it. She said, "What you doing?" I said, "What do you think of this?" And she said, "Time for you to do a solo album. It's really cool. The lyrics are great." Uh, and then I kind of talked to myself. I went, "Don't do lead vocals the day you do backgrounds because it's two different hats. You know, backgrounds can be a little mathematical. I mean, I'm kind of good at arranging them and putting them putting them together and stacking them up and doing all that." But uh, I'm not great at it, but I'm, you know, I do it a lot. And then sometimes I'll sing a lead right after I've done that. And it just sounds like track number seven <laughs> of the background. So I had to try to turn it around and see if I can, sing, you know, just singing the leads. I mean, like if you listen to Reason to Believe, it's it's definitely the lead vocal was done on a different day. I was I went after it a couple times, you know, until I got one that I thought was would could touch people, you know, sort well, of what I was looking to do. So, so, so let me just explore that for a second. Talk to me then a little bit about uh, doing a lead vocal compared to doing a background vocal, because it really is a different art. I mean, you, you must have a different oh, mental. Yeah, talk to me about that in terms of the mental preparation or how do you approach it? Well, you know, you, I usually do it. Even if I know the words, I usually do it. I don't even I don't use music stands. I just I mean, when I when I work, I just sit like I am at this desk with a microphone right here. And I punch myself in and out. And uh, and except for there's one song on the record that I just wasn't having a good luck with it. So I went to my friend Carmen and he he brought in a vocal for the a Stevie song, which was a kind of a little different move for for that album. And uh, so, I mean, it's just it's just I wanted to try to realize what were in what the words were saying, what they meant to me and what they could mean to anybody listening and try to have that forefront in my mind when I'm singing the song. Which not necessarily happens when you're doing backgrounds. I mean, I remember I used to when I when I did a lot of dates when there were a lot of dates, uh, I I really had to teach myself to forget what I sang today because we just sang this guy's chorus 40, 50 times, and then I go home and try to write a song, and next thing you know, I'm writing this guy's chorus. I'm going, whoa, whoa, this ain't gonna work, you know. So I I I just you know, and sometimes when I'm filling out the contract, I said, what was the name of the song? And the producer would look at me like. 
you just sang the title 40 or 50 times. I said, yeah, but I taught myself to forget, you know? <laughs> so, so, if, I, so now I remember to forget. Do, when you approach making a new album, do you think of how it's going to translate on the stage or do you make an album and then worry about that later? Pretty much worry about it later. Okay. You know, what I want to do is try to put together this little art form. Uh, you know, if you're using horns and I don't play with horns, then what does that leave you? You know, right. I mean, so and I and but if it needs horns, I'm going to use them. I'm going to put them there, you know. I don't use a lot of horns as as much as, as some of the bands that I've been with over the years. The Suns were definitely a horn band. Not a horn band, but a band with horns. There's a giant difference. There's horn bands, and then there's bands with horns, you know. Tower of Power is kind of a horn band. Right. And Huey Lewis has a band with horns on occasion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and all those guys are great players and fun guys, too. I, I love that band. My, oh, one of my, my favorite bands ever, you know. Really yeah. smoke. Tower of Power or Huey Lewis? Because you're talking my language here. <laughs> Both. I mean, Huey's, Huey's an old friend. I've known all these guys. I'm, I produced three of those guys when they were in a band long before they even met Huey. Uh, I was working with Bill, Mario, and uh, Johnny. Johnny. Johnny's the greatest. Johnny, Johnny is a singing fool. Man, he's one of the better singers I've ever worked with. Yeah. And he's, he, he, knows where his, he knows his place. Oh, no. We have frozen up kind of crazy you know what? we we froze up there for a second you said johnny knows his place and then the the, the screen froze so what were you oh, saying I'm, I'm sorry well you know california's had so many fires that the wi-fi has been real iffy for a good but, little while but you're right you know johnny cola has two solo albums and i have them both in my phone currently i mean i yeah. I, I love johnny cola he, he's the greatest but great but he's what, a great singer but what, what were you saying that that he knows his place in the band well, I mean, with with Huey in the news, it really, you know, people really are looking to hear Huey's voice leading the charge. And Johnny has has spots, you know, he definitely has spots where he goes for it. And all the other guys sing. I mean, Bill's a good singer too. I mean, they're and Bill's a really good piano player also. I mean, those guys are so musical. Sean's an unbelievable uh, 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 organ player. He play. He knows what the Hammond organ is supposed to be. I, I'm you know? telling you, you're, you are preaching to the choir. I yeah. I love that band more than anything. Um, let me just quickly talk about for you making new music because you have been in all these bands. You have done the duets. You have been on the Ario. You have been with Elton John. You've done all this stuff. You could easily book a night in Vegas and call it the Bill Champlin whatever extravaganza and play 15 of the greatest songs you ever were involved with. Um, but you say, no, you know what? I want to make new music. Why, why, why is it yeah. important to stay active and creative and not just live off the past? Well, this time, well, living off the past, I mean, in some ways, say, for instance, with Chicago, I did sing a handful of, of big songs for Chicago. And if I play live, I'll sing the songs. You know, I do look away. I mean, the audience would be kind of, kind of, hey, man, I wanted to hear him sing this. Or I wanted to hear him sing that. So I do those, but I don't do, I don't do a whole set of it by any means. And uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, resting on somebody else, resting on your own laurels is one thing. Resting on others, other people's laurels is another thing altogether. I just don't like, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at what I do and I want to keep doing it. Simple yeah. as that. It's as simple as that. And, and yeah. you should keep doing it. Um, let, me, let me just go back to the beginnings in your start out in L.A., doing all the session work. You and I are both friends with, with Steve Lukather and he's been on... Uh, 
literally a thousand albums. <laughs> most, well, I'd, say two, I'd say two or three. Yeah, and and most yeah. and most of them all NDA'd to death, so we'll never know what he's actually played on. But what was it like for you? Were you on on a lot of those albums also, where you had to sign away and not say anybody and, sh- sh- and non disclosure and. A couple. No, I never took it. There were never any non-disclosure, you know, uh, what do they call them? NDIs or, or N- NDAs. No. NDAs. Yeah, no, there were never any of that. But I mean, there were a few where they just didn't put the names on it. And I went, that's all right. I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we got to where we were calling it ooze and oz for rent. You know what I mean? When I first moved to town, I had a record deal. And and uh, and it was with uh, Irving Azov and Howard Kaufman. I mean, these guys were kind of ran the show, and the deal was going to be on Full Moon Epic, which is where the single album came out. And you know, I kind of had been working pretty regularly with David Foster, and saw him just starting to grow and grow and grow. And and but he was still, you know, when I got to town, we had a record deal. I had talked. Irving and the other guys to end up having Foster as a producer. And they were going, nah, he's just a, a session piano player. He'll never be a producer. I said, you guys don't get it, do you? <laughs> he's going to be one of the best. I mean, I guarantee it. And, you know, history's proven that to be true. And uh, and what kind of ended up coming down is that uh, we, we, you know, I got to L.A., I think, in late or 77 or something and i had to wait for like six months and foster and and david foster and jay graden were really good friends of mine and they were out doing sessions doing uh doing tracking dates like three or four a day and they just sort of gave my phone number to every one of these producers and said when it comes time to do backgrounds give this guy a call so they were really really the guys that made that happen for me they got me my first gigs and i got me my second one by doing good work you know what i mean and and it it just became it was you know and at some point in the game right about when i was just sick and tired of doing you know doing oohs and ahs and hey could you write us write some stuff for this one section here turned out to be some guy's chorus that i'm hearing it you know I got 500 bucks and he got a career out of it. I was kind of going, well, wait a minute. I think, you know, in Nashville, they have a thing that's one word, one third, which is pretty, you know, that's, I don't want to do that. But, you know, I kind of understand, uh, you know, I just, because I was going, man, this is kind of going nowhere. And a lot of the productions, written stuff were going, we don't want, we don't want creativity. We want hits. And that kind of put me off a little bit and then and then you, you bring it up to nowadays a lot of people you know that's i think one of the reasons why tribute bands are so popular and there are some good ones out there. there's great bands that can do that do people just want to hear what they've already heard or is any are people's ears open for new music and i think there's a smaller amount of people looking to hear new music than there used to be you know, I mean, I know people I, I, just couldn't, couldn't wait for the next Genesis record. You yeah, know? but I, 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 I mean, let me just let me let me take you up on that for a second. I, I think people do want to hear new music, but it's just the pipeline is so wide open now that it's hard to focus. You know, back in the day, AM radio, uh, much music in Canada, MTV, they fed you the Genesis. They fed you the Peter Cetera. They fed you the new yeah. Chicago. Now you go to YouTube and you just yeah. so it's hard yeah. to. You know, so the, the the new music is there. It's just that you don't have that one. You don't go, oh, there's Madonna. And then you follow the career. You go, oh, I saw this band. I don't even know what they're called, but they had a great song. And then the next day, it's. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree. It's, it's I mean, visibility is 90 percent of success. Really what it comes down to. That's why I really love Shauna. She's 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 having it's for this album. I mean, I've been I've been I've had deals on 
Electra. I've had deals on Epic. I've had deals. I've had singles on all kinds of things. I had a, a, a single of one of my wife's songs uh, with, and it was a duet with Brenda Russell on a Tom Scott record. And I did a handful of press at GRP at the time, and that was all great and good. I've never, I've never done this much press. Shauna's, you know, the, the people at uh, Imagine Records are digging in on this. I mean, in a lot of ways, and it's, and I'm, I'm really. I'm really happy about it. Happy about it, because I mean, for a while I'd just do a solo album, throw it at the wall, and hope it did well. It doesn't work, you know. It, nobody, you know, it may be total genius, but nobody's going to hear it. You know what I mean? So, so other than the interviews, how do you find an audience these days? Because okay, we have the the interviews, great. You can go tour, but now you can't tour. So, yeah. how do you get an audience? And and how can, can you get it to radio? Can can you convince Sirius XM to play a song? Well, yeah, I think, you know, I know guys that, that have gotten on, you know, on Bluesville and stuff like that. I don't think you, I don't think I'll get on the hit channel or the Beatle channel, you know. Or <laughs> Hair Nation. Yeah, right. Well, I kind of like, uh, one I like is Octane, where the, the guitar players and bass players and, and drummers yeah. are screaming and then the singers... <laughs> well, you can hear uh, you can hear on Octane. You can hear Morgan Rose from uh, Seven Dust, who's part of Imagine. Yeah, Imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine. I Imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, it's 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 all very cool. You know, I mean, I'm sure we. You know, we've we've got people that are looking to try to to boost my uh, my social media uh, visibility, and you know, all of this is kind of going on, and I think it's all really based on a really good record. I think, and and I think if at some level, if there is such a thing as word of mouth anymore, that'll probably make a lot of difference. I hope so. I hope so. So let me get back to the to the record for a second. Again, you've been associated with so many hits over the years, so many great songs. How do you judge what goes on your solo record? I mean, are you looking for bona fide hits? Are you looking for something that touches your heart? Are you looking for something that is fresh and relevant to twenty twenty one radio? How do you go, this song goes on the album and not go, ah. Yeah, uh, I think all three of those things. I mean, it'd be great to get a hit. It'd be great to get a radio hit, wouldn't it? I, I think the chances are slim and none. I mean, this day and age, if you're know, if you over 15, it's hard to get on the radio. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, what? hey, I, my wife had a great line. Say, hey, I may be old, but I'm immature. That kind of count for something. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, I, I think this one just for, you know, the people that know me and they've heard me sing with Chicago and they've heard me sing, you know, different things on different things. I, I sang the theme for the TV show In the Heat of the Night. And, you know, people have heard me probably wafting through their living room at least once a week, you know, and for the 35 something years, you know. But it's the only blues I ever recorded that I that I know of, you know. But, uh, I mean, the move is that... Uh, I just want, if anybody hears it, I just want them to be able to feel it. It's really kind of prime importance. I mean, I, you know, you can, you can try to build your, your, your song sequences and, and your songs themselves around what you think might be a hit. And usually you might, you might achieve it, but you'll, you'll achieve what was a hit last week instead of next week, you know? So that's, and a lot of times, you know, people kind of go, oh, well, you know, if it's not just hit 
straight ahead hit C what they call CHR. Remember that? Oh yeah. You know, if it is if it isn't that, then it must be jazz. Well, my stuff isn't anywhere. CHR, AOR, all that. Yeah, the three <laughs> uh, the three letter words, alphabet soup. Alphabet you know? soup. Well, Somebody said A and R. It's the two most dangerous letters in the music business. <laughs> kind of is. Or, or the other one is like, what was it? What did you? Uh, uh, oh, did you hear about the A and R guy that got hit by a train? He didn't hear it coming. A and R and recoupment, the two most uh, devastating <laughs> terms yeah. in the business. But uh, exactly. Let, let me ask you, uh, and I'm going to go back and forth here between now and then. Um, Terry Kath, of course, was in Chicago. He passed away. You were asked to, to replace him at some point. Because, um, we, we, you know, we lost Eddie Van Halen this year, and we've lost other guitar heroes over the years. How good was Terry, and how how difficult or how easy was it for you to play some of those parts and be part of that band and, and have those parts as, as part of your repertoire? Okay, this is what came down, and this is how it came down. I mean, I think two days, three days after Terry had passed away, I got a call from Howard Kaufman, who was who was involved in my my own solo records at the time. He says, "This would be a great gig for you, Bill." And I went replacing Terry Calf. I do play guitar, and I play it well, and I have one good solo. I couldn't get, I couldn't fit in those shoes for all the tea in China. It just wouldn't happen. So I, I kind of passed it on. Actually, passed it on to Carmen Grillo, and he had it right up to the minute Dacus, Donnie Dacus, came in. And Dacus was smart enough to know every single Chicago song backwards and forwards better than they did, and that pretty much got him the gig. Uh, Car- they was di- they, Carmen kind of had the gig until Donnie got in there, and and I've worked with Donnie a couple of times. He's a sweetie pie. He's a nice guy, but. I just went. No, this is not. This isn't the gig for me. I mean, uh, I don't. I can't play that well. I didn't understand that they they could have. They already they already had their eye on a on a guitar player of sideman to play. So I finished doing. I finished doing some other stuff. I'd work with Danny. Work with the other guys. I finally got a call, actually from the guys in the band. Said we need you in the band. And I said I'm. I'm not. I'm not that guitar player. He says, no, 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 no. We got Chris Pinnock's going to play guitar. Chris is an amazingly great guitar player. And Chris was playing guitar. So we need you to, especially, you know, and then he says, and by the way, do you think David Foster would be a good producer for us? I said, absolutely. But you're going to probably have to toss a lot of the stuff you got that you're planning on, on recording and rewrite it, rewrite the stuff with David. And it will probably be a good thing. And it turned out to be a good call. Uh, I'm not sure whether the band was happy with David because it, it wasn't like they wanted it to be. But at the time, David and Peter were on a major role in terms of writing and performing. And boom, it happened like that. So uh, I was and I play a little guitar. I always played a little guitar with Chicago, but not not that much. You know, I mean, usually it's they they had a ringer, you know, they had Dwayne Bailey for a while. They got Keith Howland now and uh, they're they're side man as a rule. Not you know full members, and when I was asked to join, I said I, I don't. I'm not a side man. I can't do that because I just finished uh, the Runaway album with Foster, which was getting you know good good reviews just about everywhere. Yeah, and, and I had that. Yeah, I had this song called Sarah that was was you know it was getting to the charts. It it didn't slam like Hard to Say I'm Sorry did because you know when you get a whole team like that you know on a on a band that everybody knows. It just makes it easier. This that thing about visibility, probably why, and some reason why why you know you gotta 
you know, you can't just turn around. I know at one point we did the 17 album and the management said, don't when you play live, don't bother with the new songs. Just play the old hits, you know, play the hits. That's what the people are coming to hear. And so Tara went, if you don't play any songs off the album, you're telling the audience you don't believe in your new album. He says, I don't want to go in and do that old, that old, we're just playing the new album because that just pisses people off. So, uh, so uh, it, it uh, does. <laughs> yeah, we got to, yeah, and, and I don't, and I, rightfully so. I think what the move is, is you try to try to balance it out and, you know, do maybe three. Play maybe three See, songs. I was going to say that to you. Th- three is the, is the magic number. I've been to bands where they'll do six, seven, or eight, and you just go, you know, I don't have to go to the bathroom that much. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're That's right. Great. If they if they play just one, you're like, really? It's not that good. Like you're only like confident of yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Well, with huh. with three, it kind of it, you kind of let them know what's going on, and then at the same time, you let them know that that you're there to play what people want to hear. So I think you know, I mean, you're you're kind of at the you know, you're sort of a prisoner of your own success at some level, and and it happens to every single band that gets as big. Not that many bands have gotten as big as Chicago. I mean, their their catalog is ridiculous, but there's there's only a few things that they can get away playing. I mean, I think they, somebody told me they did a tour a little while back where they just did the second album. But you I mean no, no David Foster era, and a lot of people that that are aware of Chicago are aware of it from that moment on, rather than the original. You know, yeah. and I don't know how many people who really bought the first first and second album. I don't know how many of them are hopping in their cars, driving out to the, you know, the Nassau Madison College. Square Garden or whatever. <laughs> but you know what? You bring up a good point. And, and Doug Feger of the Knack told me this years and years ago before he passed away. He said, you know, Mitch, uh, my Sharona was a golden albatross in the sense that, yes, it's bought me the house and the pool and everything you see here. But from that moment on, every time I went to the record company and I brought them new music, they said, that's really good, Doug, but we don't hear another My Sharona. Go go try again. And it's just like, like what do there's, you do? There's, there's that. There's those two letters talking to you. A&R. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> One of the reasons why, I mean, I've never been a real giant Neil Young fan, but I, I, I really respect him in that he when he did, I think Harvest was that record. That thing went through the roof. That it was such a good album. There was just, I mean, I didn't even dig them that much. I bought the album because the grooves were in the pocket. There was some stuff going on. And of course, the record company and management said, let's have another one. He said, nah, I think I'm going to go do something with Crazy Horse. And then after that, well, let's do another one of the, how about another Crazy Horse album? He said, nah, I think I'm going to go do this. And he's sort of the Johnny Depp of, of, of music. He just goes where the music's taking him. And his fan base may not be that, you know, I mean, he's actually pretty big. He's a pretty big artist. But, you know, he just chose, you know, stuck by his guns and chose to do what it what he felt like the music was telling him to do. It was really cool. You know, that's rarefied air, by the way. You know, you two can do that. Madonna can do that. Neil can do that. But I don't think, for example, ACDC could do that. If you don't give the fans an ACDC album, they're bailing on you. So it's yeah. it's really rarefied. In fact, how does that work in your career? Do do Are you concerned about the fan base and I got to give them what they want? Or do you say, no, 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 I've done it all. I, I, I'm going to do Bill's record now. Like, how do you see well, that? That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, the, the pandemic, I, I think there's going to be as many albums in 2021 as there were children born nine months after the New York blackout. 
You know what I mean? Uh, everybody I know who has a who has a workstation or a Pro Tools rig or Logic or something, I can't go anywhere. I can't go to restaurants. I can't do anything. Fuck it. I'm making an album. You know, and that's kind of the way it's sort of the way it works. It seems like, and and I think a lot of people just instead of, in, in a way, I'm really kind of glad it happened. And I probably wouldn't have made this album had it not been for lockdowns. So I had, you know, and, and at the yeah. end of the at the end of the day working, I kind of well, it'd be nice to go to a restaurant. Can't do that. You know what I mean? Take out take Tamara out for sushi or something. Can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah, right. And it, and it's been that way. California's totally locked in Montreal uh, Quebec is also we're we're in a in a deep deep red zone and spiking spiking yeah. you know we just had two weeks off with uh, the schools closed and everything and we were at like 1600 new cases a day and now we're at like almost 3000 it's like but we've been closed <laughs> how are we doubling it makes no sense so and and uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of the the reporting on it is is uh it's sort of like the, the reporting on how many how many Vietnamese that we did in during the that war. It turned out to be wrong numbers. It didn't really happen. And I think a lot of it is that the, in the states, the hospitals, if the hospitals have a a, a COVID patient or just a, a regular patient who who may have tested positive for COVID, but he dies of a heart attack or he ran into a telephone pole and killed himself, they'll call it COVID because they get more money. So there's a reason there's a, there's people that are making money on these spikes. And and I think there's from what I understand from everything on the news, which, of course, I've kind of learned and I don't believe very much of at this point of the game, which is, which is sad, by the way, can when, when we used to look at Walter Cronkite, you believed him. Walter <laughs> said, man bites dog. Now you get Democratic dog bites man, Republican man. Republic or Democratic man bites Republican dog. What the hell? Give me a break. You know, show me the news. Walter Cronkite would do the news and they had opinion. They had Eric Severide do about three minutes of opinion at the end of an hour. And now it's just all opinion. But, you know? but and remember, you back know what's going on in the States. Check out BBC News. Yes. And, and you have to remember back then, too, none of the hosts were allowed to say what party they voted for. If you were. Uh, Cronkite, or rather, you couldn't say if you were de- Democrat or Republican. You had to keep that by contract. You had to keep that hidden. And now it's just, ah. Uh, but anyway, it's rampant. It's just you know. I mean, and the thing is that it's just it's it's got so much to do with making opinions. And and I think that the you know all the all the you know at least at this point of the game all the media stuff. I mean, sometimes I try to you know somebody's really being uh, on hate book. You know, somebody's really being nasty about. Trump or about somebody else. I'm going, I just don't want that kind of vibe about anybody in my living room. And I try to try to hide the post and it won't hide. And I'm going, Oh, here we go. We got this, you know? So it's, it's a lot of stuff's just being kind of driven in a certain direction. It's sort of like sheep, sheep dogs are pushing, trying to push everybody where they want the sheep to go. So, and I think in a lot of ways it all ends up over a cliff. It's, it's lemmings, whether we like it or not. It is unfortunate. but. Yeah, it's totally unfortunate. It's just become, it's it's opinion shows. They're not, they're not. It's not news anymore. Where do you find the news? Probably just local news. You probably get a better shot at what's going on. But the the national news, I, th- I think one of the worst things that happened is twenty four hour news because they need some, they need some stuff to you know, 
You, you need you need content that's not there. You know, you go back to Jennings, Cronkite, Brokaw. Yeah. You, you could trust them, and they looked trustworthy. Now, yeah. yeah. Um, I, we're gonna not run out so of time soon. Oh no. man, I'm sorry. We got you know. Well, I don't me, know how much. You're, you're looking at uh, you're looking at tangents. I go off on tangents. Oh, me that's too. How I do my music. I can know? go anywhere, which is yeah. which is. And what, what do we got here? We're we're at half an hour, but I I still got a. I just wanted to ask you about moving from a session player to, you know, moving from the back of the stage to the front of the stage or behind the stage to the stage. Was that a major adjustment? Was that something that you were fearful from? Was it was it just motivated by, like you said before, hey, I wrote this song and <laughs> this guy's got my career. Like, um, talk to me about that transition of going from, all right, I'm the guy doing the ooh-ahs to, no, I'm going to be on the stage performing my songs for you. Right. Well... Uh, I started doing that. I mean, with Sons of Champlin, we were, you know, we had a, a, a really great following, mostly among musicians. But and we had some opportunities with, with that band. Every time opportunity knocked, we answered the phone. You know, I mean, we just missed a lot of opportunities. We top filled a lot of bands that ended up going right through the roof, you know, Credence, <laughs> you know, a lot of just once or twice and uh, doobies and different things like that. But they all made the right moves. We didn't seem to make the right moves and it didn't really happen. But I was front manning. I was the guy, you know, the guy in front who's singing most of the songs. Not all of them, but most of them. And uh, and a great band. And it was all really going on. And then and then I got doing uh, doing sessions and I just, you know, we moved to L.A. when I didn't have a whole lot of money. And, I didn't, you know, a lot of people moved to L.A. They got to move back real soon because it didn't didn't happen for him but i was really lucky in that i knew david and jay and uh, and i started to, to get sessions enough to pay my rent while i'm waiting to go do my solo album then we went to do the solo album and you know we ended up with one really great song that i actually really cut that well somehow we just didn't cut it that well and we gave it to earth wind and fire and uh that was a whole other move all of a sudden i'm a you know grammy award-winning songwriter and, you know, a couple of years later, we did me and uh, and Jay Graydon and Steve Lukather wrote Turn Your Love Around for George Benson. So while I'm doing sessions and doing all this other stuff, this other, you know, uh, suddenly I'm writing songs. And then and then the Chicago gig comes in and I was anything but front man with Chicago. I never really have been. I've sung a few hits for them, but their front man has always been their horn section. That's just, you know, according to them. You know, I mean, according to them, that's what people are coming to see is the horn section. I said, you mean nobody's coming to see the drummer? Uh, maybe somebody might be coming to see the, <laughs> the could be coming the to see a singer, you know, could be coming to see the guitar player. But, uh, you know, uh, you had to kind of But I, I'll say this about Chicago, and I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I'll say this about Chicago. You go see Rush, and you're there to see Neil, or you're there to see Getty. When you see a band like Chicago, or even Huey Lewis, you're there for the songs and just the wholeness of it all because yeah. you know I agree. yeah you know i agree i totally agree and I, but i think at some point when when foster was involved he was he was screaming he did such a good job on the record him and, and the engineer uh, umberto gatica they they brought it home really really well and foster and peter were just a natural they both knew i mean peter wrote by himself wrote if you leave me now it's one of the all-time greatest songs you know, it it definitely took the band in a well. We got to have ballads, and it and it's. I think it's still there. They don't. Record companies don't want to hear any of their, you know, big band arrangements kind of things. Although we did an album of big band stuff, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, 
We cut it, it actually we cut it we cut it with Bruce Fairbairn up in Vancouver. It was a pretty pretty good record, you know. What, what's with all, what's but... by the way? What's with all the Canadians? Bruce was was terrific. David, of course, is terrific. Yeah, you know. Uh, and well, uh, I mean, Humberto Gatica is from Chile. <laughs> yeah. So if I was getting any shit from those guys, I'd say, "Hey, guys, <laughs> I'm gonna pull your green cards if you don't treat me nice." <laughs> just a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Bruce. By let me just ask you this: since you mentioned Bruce and stuff, did you ever work with Jim Valance at all? I met him because we we were up at Embassy Studio, right? And I met him. I think Robert Lamb might have written some stuff with him at some point. But he's he's quite a writer. I mean, he's he's banged off a whole bunch of good stuff. Yeah. Seemed like a really nice guy. But I mean, I was when we were doing that album up there, I had other things I needed to do in in addition to Chicago. So the minute my my stuff was done, whether it was tracking or vocals or something like that, I was on a plane out of there doing other things you know yeah but uh Val- yeah valance's songwriting is he's it's, it's, fantastic it's, i mean that that work. whole era of 77 to like 80 with them and bruce allen and and brian adams and yeah. that whole van little mount that whole um uh i'm trying to think of some other name here uh mark uh, anyway but that, that whole area was just on fire it was just Oh, musically, it was kicking like a mule. And I think... Mark LaFrance is what I was thinking. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Fairbairn was right in the middle of it. You know, really a sweet guy. I mean, he was a a cool guy. One time he said, hey, Bill, how long does it take you to to get a vocal? And I looked at him and I was just lying my ass off. I said, how long is the song? (laughs) And he went... Oh, I'm going to hold you to that one, you know. <laughs> and then, then at some point I got handed one of the tunes that I don't think, I don't, Robert wasn't singing, I mean, at least I was, the verses and choruses, and he might have sung the bridge or something, but he said, can you sing this? I said, yeah, give me a shot at it. So I got it in one take, and he went, damn, you're right. <laughs> that means I can go home and, and, and make dinner time when yeah. it's being served. You know? well, let's just be glad that Chicago never did an album with Mutt Lang. You'd still be recording the horns today, so... <laughs> <laughs> right. no, he'd, uh, he'd, have, he'd have brought in other horn players i'd almost guarantee it you know i mean Dave, <laughs> david did a little bit of that with some of the rhythm section stuff i don't think any of i mean i don't think chris might have played on one or two things on 16 but after that it was all mike landau yeah it was great or, or steve or steve lukather steve Either steve is, is is absolutely terrific and, and i'll oh, i'll end on this wanna, i just want to take a chainsaw to his hand sometimes he's so great he's, and you know lately he's just it's just melodic as hell his solos i mean there was a period there where he was shredding just like everybody else and you can't even really hear it and now his solos i mean he just tells a story every time he solos it's just he's a monster i mean i love his playing and i love the guy we, we always had a, we we share a grammy Yes, you do, and and he's a terrific guy, and and I just wish that some of his, you know, uh, session work was more out front, and people knew the stories more. Because when you look at the history, you can't just judge him on Toto. You got to judge him on 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 uh, not beat it, but on uh, uh, what was the name of the Thriller. You got to judge him on all. It's it's all of it. It's not just. uh, But uh, so let me just finish with this then. What are you most proud of? Your songwriting, your singing, your playing. If you know when you when it's all said and done, do you say I'm Bill the songwriter, or I'm Bill the singer, or I'm Bill? What's 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 sort of like the one that's the calling card? I think it's kind of come. Around. I mean, I've gone back and forth. I've, I'm primarily as an instrumentalist. I'm primarily known as an, a Hammond organ player. And I really love the instrument. You know, I mean, I remember where I was the first time I heard Jimmy Smith. I went, that's 
I got to do that, whatever that is, I'm in. And, you know, but, and then it's singing. I got really known as, a, well known as a singer. Writing, I got, you know, and I finally realized, what is, what is it? It's all one thing. It's all the artist. I'm, and, you know, at this point in the game, I'm not going through any baloney. I'm just, I'm, I'm an artist. This is what I do. To me, singing a lead vocal on a song is really coming from the same place as putting on a new set of guitar strings. It's all part of the same organic thing that I that I try to do. I just try to make it at this point of the game. I'm just trying to make it. I don't even want to write it if it's if it doesn't touch, you know, if it's, if it's not soulful, if it doesn't touch somebody, you know, yeah. real important, yeah. you know. And uh, Living for Love is out uh, Jan in well end of January, and uh, folks can yeah. Uh, I think I've, last I heard was January 22nd. They're going to release it digitally, and I you know we're actually if people have really got to have CDs. We're uh, just go to billchamplin.com and we're making CDs. We don't have them yet, but yeah. we're, you know. Forward slash yeah. shop. Bill Champion, uh, billchamplin.com forward slash shop. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a CD guy. I, I have to, I mean, I've got the, uh, right here, I got the uh, Strangers in the Night box set. I've got a whole pile of, Alice Cooper said this best to me once. He said, Mitch, I don't want to own air. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember the first time I think I, I spent a couple of thousand dollars for something to put in my computer to do something. And there was a box this big, but it went down to a smaller box and then a smaller box. And there was a chip this big. I was going, this little thing, four grand, what? <laughs> or two grand or whatever. It was. I was going, you'd think for that kind of money, you'd have something <clears throat> big like a car <laughs> or something. And uh, and that's just the way it's getting to be. So, yeah, and I understand, Alice. I mean, I've, is he a great guy or what? I love Vince, man. What a what a sweetie pie. We did a Tommy Thayer threw a, a it was a, a, a like a benefit, uh, and and Alice was was playing the gig, but the uh, uh, Robbie Krieger was there playing guitar, and we needed to do some uh, some Doors song, a couple of Doors songs, and Alice learned them, and he sang them just like it was just. Dude, go long because I did. I was I was way involved in his album with uh, that Foster did the uh, on the out, on the inside. I think it was called. Yeah, on the think, for, uh, no from yeah. the inside from the inside from the inside. Yeah, and I think it was we're all crazy. And and Bernie Toppin was writing a lot of the lyrics. That's the one really with uh, how you're gonna see me now, right? How you I gonna think that, see and, me yeah, and I think now. we're all crazy might have been on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly look it up because uh, I'm a huge Cooper fan. But that's the one that Lukather played all over that too, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and Foster produced it. He brought me in because for a long time I was sort of David's vocal ringer, you know. Oh, so look at I did. That. It is David. I, I, yeah. I, I'm. I obviously must have known that, but yeah, look at Lukather is on is on that. On and uh, I think it was the first the first hit that Luke played a solo on. Let's see here. It says uh, Bill Champlin, Kiki D, Flo and Eddie, blah 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 blah, Bobby Kimball, the to backing vocals. Wow, yeah. the cats. I have been an Alice Cooper fan since 1977, 78, and look at that. I've, I learned something new. Yeah, <laughs> great guy. I mean, you know, the thing that was really cool is I was just a, you know, I was just a hired dude on that one record, and his career's just gone crazy. But the next time I saw him was maybe 20 years later. Somebody says, hey, Bill, what you doing? He remembered who I was, and he's just a real sweet guy. I mean, anytime we hang, it's always really a cool thing. Anyway, so we're we're kind of running. You're running short of time, I bet, huh? No, I've got I, I've got as long as as you want it. I was always yeah. told uh, the publicists always say, 
keep it to half an hour. So I try to respect that. But yeah, th- this is you. this has been great. I could go on for forever and ever and ever. And, and if not, let's do another one. Yeah. Part two. Yeah, anytime. Uh, anytime. So, uh, I just you know, Shauna's kind of keeping all this stuff together. She's great, by the way. You she, know her absolutely. at all? I do. I do. She's she's amazing. I mean, she's. I've never had this much really top level attention paid to a product to a project and all of the people from uh from wine guards record company from imagine they've been really cool i've been really you know i've been really lucky to be involved with these people but anyway i got something i got to do and then i got a two o'clocker i got a nail so i'm gonna i'm gonna shut it down if yep. that's okay with you. absolutely and as as we say in montreal merci beaucoup thank you so much oh, i love it when you speak french actually you spoke french i did i do <laughs> It's part Somebody of my daily asked, life here. <laughs> Max Martin asked me. I was in, in a studio in Sweden. He says, so, Bill, how are you doing? You, you learn any Swedish? I said, are you kidding me? I'm still working on English. It's perfect. That guy hasn't had any hits, has he? He's sort of the mutt lang of this era. You know what I mean? Great it's guy. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good work. Anyway, listen, I love you, man. Merci, uh, Bill. Thank you. And thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Absolutely. And we'll do this again soon. Great, Mitch. Be good. Cheers. You too now. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.